0: Welcome to the College Counseling Podcast, the podcast about counseling students on the college admissions process. I'm Sam Pritchard and today my guest is Joel Lang, Director of College Counseling at Padua Academy in Wilmington, Delaware. And as of the beginning of May, Joel was the President of the Potomac and Chesapeake Association for College Admissions Counseling. I think you'll really enjoy Joel's insights on counseling students, including what the most important thing is for effective college counseling. I also want to make sure you know about our counselor hub, where you'll find resources, free events and everything Kaplan has to offer to counselors. You can find it at captest.com counselors. Now onto my conversation with Joel. All right. Well, Joel, thanks for taking some time to speak with me. Excited to learn a little bit more about your journey. And I think to start with, I would love to hear just how you got into
1: counseling and into this line of work. Well, thanks for having me, Sam. Um, I was I was fortunate when I went to high school that I I kind of learned early on what I was good at doing and and what I like to do and that was uh, working with kids. So when I was in high school, I had your proverbial you know summer camp job and and I worked with the kids in an aftercare program as just my part time jobs to make some money. Um, but I really enjoyed running around with kids and and playing games and you know doing those little things that, that camp counselors do and. and so I enjoyed that so much that I said, you know, I, I could enjoy working with kids for a living. So I was fortunate again to go to college, study psychology because that was you know, what I was told to do. But it really helped me out. And even when I was in college, I, I had the opportunity to do internships, working with teenagers that ultimately actually uh, turned into a job when I returned home from college, working with teenagers in a, in a shelter setting. So it was it was it was a great path that I went on because I kind of knew what I enjoyed doing and I knew um, what people told me that I was good at doing, which was playing with kids, so it was helpful uh, that I got a good early jump on my, you know, potential career. My my what I ended up doing, so um, it was a, it was a good start.
0: Great. What was that like trying to counsel and work with kids that were that were in homeless shelters?
1: It was definitely an interesting job. Um, I always say it was you know you're in the trenches with some of the more challenging kids that you're ever going to see um, working in this environment. So. We had students and students and, and kids coming out of juvenile detention. We had kids who were thrown out of their homes for whatever reason. We had kids who ran away and wards of the state. So we had students who really, and kids, I would say students because now I'm working in a school, but we had kids who were coming just from the most random backgrounds. Um, it wasn't always a socioeconomic situation, but most times it was. Um, but we had, we had kids who were just not given the help that they needed and certainly in a really bad spot in their lives.
0: Is there a student or two that stands out from that time uh, that you're
1: working with? You know, as One fun story is when I was working at a shelter, you know, a young lady went through the shelter and she was nice enough, pleasant, but you know, she basically been living on the streets. So when I went to my next job at a school, I was walking through the cafeteria and I look over and there she is and she's working in the cafeteria at the school that I was working for. So I, I looked at her and I said, she looks familiar. And then she turned around looked at me and Mr. Joel got all excited. And and I said, wow, that's what, you know, a great turnaround story. Here's a girl who's living on the streets now has a full-time job and a decent paying job, um, that she could then get herself out of that cycle of poverty and, um, really in a bad, you know, she was in a bad situation, but turned things around. So it's kind of those stories that are fun, um, to think back on, um, that, you know, you hope you make a difference. I don't know if I made a difference or somebody else made a difference, but those kind of stories that really remind you why you do what you do.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, so I can't imagine trying to 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 join in that that journey with students in, in such uh, desperate circumstances. But I'm sure when you when you see that some change has happened, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's extremely rewarding. And so then after that, you transitioned to doing counseling and working with students with a view toward college in, uh, in, a, in a high school setting.
1: Yeah, from the shelter, I, while I was working at the shelter, I was working on my master's degree. And when I finished the master's degree, I um, started seeing what else was out there. And ironically, the school, the high school that I attended uh, was looking for a school counselor. And I said, this is great. It's a great opportunity for me. So I applied. I was lucky enough to get hired. Um, and then I spent 16 years at that school. So I started out um, really just working with freshmen, transitioning to high school, study skills, time management, and ultimately worked its way into college advising um, al- along with um, the <laughs> homework and, and things of that nature. So um, it was a great transition because I was already familiar with the school. Um, I knew the environment and the atmosphere there. I knew the expectations of the student uh, body. So it was, it was a great transition for me. It was a fairly easy one, um, but it definitely was a different job. With a different yeah. Great,
0: and then you transitioned uh, after the sixteen years to to Padua
1: Academy, mm-hmm. where you are now. Yeah, um, that was I don't want to say happenstance, but it, it worked out in my favor. Um, I was at Slazanov School, an all boys school um, in Wilmington, Delaware. Um, a spot came open at Padua Academy, which is the all girls sister school. Uh, again, I was very familiar with the environment. I had my sister went to Padua. I have a couple of nieces who had one had already graduated, one who was a current student when I got hired. Um, so I was familiar with the school and, and the student body. Um, so it was, it was a good transition for me to go from Silesianum to Padua, um, Padua again, being all girls, that was the one big transitional part that I had to get used to because you certainly uh, work with boys differently than you work with girls. Um, so that was one thing that I really had to get used to. And, um, you know, in my sixth year here now at Padua, so it's seemed to work out pretty well. Um, but it's, it's, again, it was one thing I always say, tell people that I know what my job and I know how to do my job. I just got to learn how to do it differently. Um, yeah. when
0: you, uh, if you feel, if there are things that stand out, what are, what are the, some of the observations you've had about working with in an all boys school versus working in an all girls school?
1: Uh, well, there's many. Um, when the boys feel that stress, it manifests with anger and acting out, um, things of that nature, when the girls feel the stress, then they start to cry and and they, you know, act out more verbally than they do physically, where the boys are more physical than they are verbal. Um, so we have to get used to that, or I had to get used to that anyway. Um, but it was, it was you know, as I've been in my sixth year now, again, I'm still learning. I, I love understanding the girls more and more. I have my own daughter who's about to turn 13, so um, it's always fun to understand the girls' side of things and how they respond and how they think, uh, as opposed to the boys, so I always say it's not better or worse, it's always different yeah. uh, but the girls are, are fantastic here they they've they've challenged me they've they've made me do my job better, which is awesome um, and I just hope every day that I can live up to their expectations because they're they're a highly motivated group and they're they're wonderful young ladies
0: that's great yeah. And uh, this year, you've got a new, uh, I guess, professional step uh, in your involvement with the Potomac-Chesapeake Association for College Admissions Counseling, PACACAC, affectionately called. So, uh You're the, the president-elect of this organization. Yes. So yes. for those who aren't familiar with NACAC uh, or PACACAC by some PACAC, uh, <laughs> brothers, can you tell us about these,
1: or- these organizations, uh, what they do, what people should know about them? Sure, sure. Um, my current position is is I don't want to say primarily focused on college admissions, but that's kind of the the area that I brought into Padua when I was hired. So, um, NACAC is the National Association for College Admissions Counseling. They have twenty three affiliates. Potomac and Chesapeake is one of those. Um, I'm currently president elect, uh, and I spent about four years as treasurer of the organization. Both organizations are are in my opinion two of the best organizations that anybody in, in as a school counselor who works with college admissions, uh, you have to be a part of these, these organizations There's a wealth of information of fantastic people, professionals who know what they're doing and, and do their job extremely well, um, always with the student first. So these organizations in my mind are the preeminent uh, organizations to work with and for uh, as a college counselor. So I, I, I noticed that early on when I started attending the NACAC conference, and, our, and then our affiliate conference as well. And I, I just said, I, I can't miss these anymore. These are these are too valuable. Um, so every year, uh, for probably the last eight years, I've attended both the NACAC conference and the Potomac and Chesapeake conference. Um, and now I've, I've been lucky enough to get involved more fully where, again, I've acted as treasurer for four years um, and now I'm president-elect. So um, again, these organizations, they, they offer support and help for college admissions Professionals, both well on the high school side, on the college side, um, community-based organizations, as well as independent educational consultants. So, everybody who's involved with helping students go to college or in that process, these organizations help those professionals.
0: Yeah, I think it's one of the biggest uh, learnings for me as I've worked with schools is just how um, that need for professional development and peer-to-peer uh, mm-hmm. development as well that the i've learned that the the master's degree that many people take to prepare for counseling college admissions is not a huge piece of the lesson of the of the classes that you take any right. of those who maybe spent some time in admissions on the college side um you know that piece of it you know the the um you know, the evaluation of of applications and, and getting the word out to students. But in terms of the counseling, helping students find the right the right school, the right college list, um, that's not a focus of, of that role either. And so mm-hmm. I think I've come to appreciate the invaluable role that NACAC and the, the affiliates um, like PACAC play. Um, yeah. And also kind of the collaborative nature between the high school side and the college side realizing people people switch back and forth, people that may work at a college right now um, may switch and begin counseling students on the on the high school side
1: yeah um, absolutely
0: and I think
1: it's, it's it's interesting some of these these masters levels programming counseling, especially sp- school counseling um, you know there's a big push from within our organizations to have a component, if not a major component of these programs focused on college counseling. Um, you know, you'll hear everybody in, in the United States talk about everybody should be a college. Everybody should be afforded a college education. Um, but there's not a large, you know, support nationally to get this um, educational component added to a master's level program. Mm-hmm. And that's a shame because what we're doing is we're doing a disservice to the students because we're putting school counselors in place in high schools who are very well trained in the social and emotional side of things, which is absolutely needed. But what they're missing is the college uh, process piece. Um, so, what you, you know, you, you bring in co- uh, high school counselors to high schools um, across the country, but for the large part, the education or the learning about the college process and how to help students and parents in the college process comes with on-the-job training. It doesn't come with, uh, as part of the master's level program. Certainly there are certain programs across the country that will offer a class or two on college admissions, um, but for the large majority, it's simply, again, the social-emotional aspects of school counseling. Um, so it'd be awesome if we had more colleges um, adding that component to their, their degree, um, but it's a slow process. So we, we, we want to make that effort to get that component added to those those advanced programs
0: yeah. okay. for someone that is interested in learning more about NACAC maybe someone who is a counselor and mm-hmm. is just becoming aware of NACAC and, and PACAC what are ways they can get involved how should they how should they
1: start well uh, you can visit the websites um, NACAC.org and, and Potomac Chesapeake it's PCACAC.org uh, these websites again have a ridiculous amount of information about college admissions counseling and things of that nature um, but as you mentioned that the face-to-face con contact that you have at these conferences that NACAC and Potomac Chesapeake and all the affiliates put on every single year um, that to me is is the primo um event to attend um, I as part of my role is in Potomac and Chesapeake you know, we attend NACAC as part of our requirement as par- as being in the leadership cycle of Tomeka Chesapeake. We're required to attend NACAC, but that's not be- why I attend. I attend because I get so much information out of that conference. It's four days, uh, really three days, but three and a half days of just constant sessions, constant interacting with professionals from across the country, again, from all different areas. So it- it's wonderful to have a conversation with Uh, You know, someone from the high school side like myself, talking with the college side, but also talking to a community-based organization, a CBO, um, and an independent um, educational consultant, to understand the different roles we all play in helping students. So, if someone's just starting out in this profession, I strongly encourage them to attend NACAC conference and their affiliate conference as well. Uh, The NACAC conference is always held in the beginning of the school year, um, usually late September, early October. Um, and it's held throughout the country. So if it, you know, one year it's not near you, the next year, or hopefully a couple years later, it will be near you. Um, this year in 2019, coming up in late September, uh, the conference NACAC conference it will be in Louisville, Kentucky. So hopefully centrally located for many. Um, clearly, some on the west coast is a little further away. But the following year, it's in I believe in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, It's coming up in Seattle, Washington. So there are, again, it's spread out throughout the country, and they purposely do that so that people from all over the country hopefully can get to the conference, if not every year, uh, every other year or every third year. Um, And, again, the affiliate conferences um, happen every single year. We try to, at Potomac and Chesapeake, we try to do ours in April and May timeframe. So this year ours is May 2nd to 4th, which everybody's like, whoa, that's really close to the May 1 deadline, also very close to the AP exams that are uh, given in May but it actually fits in right between those two so <clears throat> we're hoping we're gonna have a great uh, showing at College Park where our conference is on the University of Maryland's campus um, so it ha- offers a lot of opportunity for local counselors to come in um, as well as where we'll have national representation from the National Association um, to give presentations offer insight and that sort of thing um, I generally will tell my counselors that I have to go, but one of you should be going every single year. So we kind of budgeted in, we know it's a cost, but to me that, that it's absolutely worth every dime. Um, so if people are looking to get involved, um, check out the website um, for both your affiliate and the national office. Um, they're always taking volunteers to work on committees, things of that nature. Um, kind of how I got started as well, is just reaching out to people who you know might be involved already. And volunteering your time so when usually a volunteer situation you, you're giving up you know maybe three days in an entire year in terms of how much time you're actually doing so um, I would encourage everybody to get involved as as much as they can because again it's an invaluable experience
0: it's great yep. well, thank, thank you for the, the info sure. um, I guess shifting gears to the counseling um, side of it I'm interested to, in your perspective on What do you think effective college counseling looks like versus versus ineffective?
1: (laughs) Um, Effective college counseling really has to have the student as the focus of everything you do. Um, There's no way you are working for a student if you've got other priorities. Um, And that goes for anybody who works with students and parents. So effective student counseling, college counseling for students really has to be focused on what their goals are. Um, what they hope to achieve by attending college, um, and really, if you look at it, is it the right thing for this student to go to college at this time? Um, and that's one I think mistake that a lot of people make is that forcing kids to go to college maybe when they're not quite ready, they're not um, you know emotionally ready for it, they're not mature enough for it. Where a gap year or something else might actually do that student a lot of a lot of good. So. Any good college counseling program will focus primarily on the student and the parents and their goals. Um, So when you talk about students going to college, it has to be the right fit. Um, They have to be, it has to be right academic fit, um, has to be right social fit. So they have to feel welcome. They have to feel challenged, but not overwhelmed. Um, These kind of aspects of the college process are of primary importance. Uh, In addition, it has to be a right financial fit. Um, We we don't want to Send students to college knowing they can't afford that school or knowing that the parents are going to have to take out, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in loans just to get that college education. So there's a lot of fit that we talk about with college admissions. Uh, and then again, an effective college counseling program, that will be the primary focus. Um, there are, you know, everybody asks, well, is this a good school? That's the wrong question to ask. The question to ask is, is this a good school for my son or my daughter? or if the student's asking, is this a good school for me? Um, Because there are wonderful, large public institutions that are great fits for a lot of students, but then there are a lot of small private institutions that are great fits for Great, I think
0: uh, one of the things that I've really noticed from uh, going to PACAC conferences is how, um, how wonderful the organization celebrates the work of those that have been doing it for a while, those that have really stood out and made great contributions. Is there someone in particular that whose work in college admissions you really admire, respect, whether on the high school side or, or
1: the college side? Sure. Um, well, my, the person who I worked with for many, many years at my old school, uh, Slazian, um was Larry Fletcher, who many people don't know, and I don't expect them to know, but he was the person who kind of really taught me the ethics behind College admissions and behind school counseling. Um, tremendous role model, tremendous mentor. And I'm sure many who have been in this field for, you know, even one or two years have that person who they kind of see as their mentor. So Larry, to me, was a great mentor. He was the one who said, you know, you, you sit with the student, you learn about the student, you understand the student, and it makes your job a lot easier to help the student. Um, you know, currently, uh, there are many, many um, college admissions folks that I, I just, completely admire uh, one who comes to mind is John Mahoney at Boston College. Uh, the man is fantastic in terms of being honest, being truthful, and being upfront with our students. And I, I don't sit here and say that every one of our Padua students gets admitted to Boston College, but John is, is absolutely one of those most ethical persons I've ever met. Um, he, he does his job. He does it extremely well. He is on, you know, he's recognized nationally as one of the leaders in college admissions and rightfully so. Um, but he, he's been a tremendous um, person to have and to work with over the last 15, 20 years. So I admire him uh, for his ethics, for his morals, um, for really keeping the student first in this entire process. Uh, unfortunately, some colleges will look out for their own rankings, look out for the ratings, and really try to push themselves to be seen as the best school in the country. Um, I don't feel John does that. John looks out for the student and he makes sure that Boston College is the right school for that student. Um, many schools do that and, and you admire those people um, and their schools for doing that. So, Excellent. Um,
0: shifting gears a little bit to, to parents uh, who maybe this is their oldest student is, mm-hmm. uh, is coming into the college admissions process for the first time. Sure. what do you what do you think are some of the most important things for parents to have in mind as their their students approaching this this timeline
1: well it's interesting when you have parents whose you know eldest child is going through the process for the first time most often and it makes sense that they'll think about what their process was if they went to college and what they went through and what they had to do and and they often try to say that that's what their student should be or their child should be doing and, and it's really the landscape of college admissions has changed, you know, a thousand times over since, you know, even I went to college, which was a long time ago. I won't say how old I am, but, um, my son is a sophomore in high school. And even from when I applied to now, it's a completely different process. So we try to encourage the parents to understand the process as it is today and how they you know, what their role is in helping their son or daughter. Um, We often see parents who are, you know, they used to call them helicopter parents, now they're lawnmower parents, where they try to do the process for their their child. And and honestly, it's the worst thing they could do is write essays for their child or fill out applications or make phone calls on behalf of their child. Um, The only exception I would say is financial aid, but when you're talking about the applications and essays and really completing this process, we do our students a service by allowing them to be the leaders in this process where we are there to support them. So when parents try to do too much, the hard part is actually reining them back. When it comes to um, asking a college a question about their, their, their academic programs, that shouldn't come from a parent, that should come from the student. Parents, your role is to support your child. If they wanna go on a college visit, your job is to plan the trip. So they call the school, the student will call the school and set up the college visit and the tour and the interview if there is one but then it's the parent's responsibility to book the hotel room and plan the travel, you know, net the travel necessity. Um, and I think that's some of the best um, conversations we have with our parents right now.
0: Great. Yeah. The,
1: the parent's not going to be there in, in the lecture hall freshman year, hopefully uh, <laughs> no. getting the assignments and getting the deadlines. So if, uh, absolutely. And they're, what, what I think one of the best things that colleges do on accepted students days is they'll bring parents and students in to, you know, obviously show off their school and and talk about the great aspects of their school, but they will separate the students and the parents. And I think it's the one of the best things that they can do because in some cases, that's the first time that that child has been separated from a parent in an important situation. Um, so the parents get nervous, probably more so than the students about, well, I wanna be next to my child this whole, and, they're like, and the college is forced them to separate. Um, again, one of the best things I've seen uh, for many colleges do that uh, that's a great thing
0: great um, let's talk a little bit about testing for for a mm-hmm. minute. How do you see parents and students approaching testing in your experience
1: um, testing is is in a, it's a big industry uh, is what it is it's a, I call it sometimes a necessary evil for some of our students, especially those who don't test well um, so We do have a full program here at Padua where we talk about the college process, and a major piece of that is is testing. Um, So we do offer the PSAT, and we we do offer other avenues for them to become familiar with standardized testing. Um, As it is now, uh, you know, the larger majority of schools do require tests, so we do encourage our students to take those tests. There are a number of colleges, wonderful colleges who are now test optional or test flexible, which is great, um, which we do recommend to certain students. Um, But we have that opportunity that we talk to students about testing, why it's important, when it's important. um, But we do keep in mind that it's one piece of the application process. Um, So we will talk to students when we get their test scores back about where this puts them in terms of um, what schools they could potentially get into, um, how this is going to affect scholarships, things of that nature. Um, testing, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not on the bandwagon that testing is always bad, um, but it's certainly, I am on the bandwagon that a student is more than his or her test scores. So this is something that um, is an ongoing battle with parents, with students, with colleges, um, that it, it, it's just a piece of the pie. Um, so hopefully in more schools, I think are recognizing that they get beyond the test scores. They get beyond just a number on a on a three hour test to see what that student can bring to the college. So, um, you know, you have faith that the colleges do look beyond test scores, and maybe there are some out there that don't, but I think for the large majority they do. Um, so we do tell the students again, testing is important. We have to, you know, be focused when we when we do take the test. We do we do encourage them to prepare, but you know, the testing is you know part of our world right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, if a student is is excited about a particular school that happens to be test optional, mm-hmm. um, would you advise that student to not send their scores? Send their scores. What would be some of the considerations there?
1: Well, anytime a student has test scores that they don't feel reflect who they are as a student, then we you know we would encourage them to say, "All right, well, if, if these test scores don't reflect who you are, then maybe we look at schools." that will allow you not to send them in. Um, and But that's not the only schools that we look at, certainly. Um, but we give them that option, because that is an option out there in the college admissions world. So we would sit them down, look at how their scores, you know, show them as a student, and in, in also we factor into their current um, transcript and how they've done in high school. So if they have done much better in high school and they have high grades and they have a strong, rigorous curriculum, but their test scores are really lower than what they've shown in high school and their high school work, then we will tell them, you know, maybe it's not necessary to send your scores in. Um, Other students, you know, we have to say, you know, you're on the borderline uh, and this school requires your test scores. You're going to have to send them. So every situation is certainly different, uh, but we honestly have told our students, don't send your scores right away. When you get your scores, come in and sit down with us and let's identify if you need to send your scores or if you don't. So, you know, we tell a student, if if this is a school that you want to go to, please come talk to us and we can kind of help you put yourself in the best position to be accepted. And that's so important when you're talking about the state of college admissions right now, where, you know, admissions is at an all-time high level of difficulty. Um, You see, you know, colleges are seeing tens of thousands of more applications every single year because students are applying to more schools which just naturally makes the school more selective so it's uh, it's part of the idea that the students need to understand the process as best they can and that's what we're here for we're here to help them understand that um, and again part of that is the parents where 25 years ago parents applied to two three schools and that was it where now students are applying to eight, nine, 10 schools um, in my lovely career, I've had one student apply to 31 colleges against my recommendation, but that's what they wanted to do. Um, she, she was admitted to 25 schools. And then what do you do? You have, you have to look at 25 financial aid you know, offers and that's too much in my opinion. But again, we don't limit. So it's up to the student and the parents about where they're going to apply and how many schools they're going to apply to. Um, so again, it's just, we try to do it individually. We understand that there's high schools out there where it's impossible. It's they have a you know, student council ratio of 600 to one. It's impossible to give every student college, you know, individual college admissions attention. So, um, and I know those counselors do their best uh, with what they have, and and we admire their work because it's very hard to do that when you have such a high um, student um, record or high student um, applicants. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, you know, again, we admire the work that they do. Uh, and we all, we, you know, at NACAC and PACAC, we actually go and advocate for um, a lower student council ratio. And we just did that uh, at the beginning of March. Actually, we we're in, in Capitol Hill meeting with senators and congressmen. And, and, and it's just, that's something that we've done. Um, NACAC has done for years and years and years. Um, so um, just part, again, part of the process, but something that's important in our professional world.
0: What attitudes and mindset about test preparation do you see students and parents have, and what do you advise them related to test prep? Uh,
1: For the test prep, it it depends on the year uh, that the students are in. For freshmen, we just tell them, take the test. It's a practice, because we do offer them the PSAT. Uh, We just tell them, take it, see how you do. It's a practice test. Those scores don't go anywhere. Uh, It's just kind of a gauge of where you are right now. Um, Even for sophomores, we'll, we'll kind of, again, it's a practice test. It's not, it doesn't mean anything at this time. You can again see where you are. And you know, at that point after sophomore year, maybe they start thinking about, do I need help with standardized testing? And if so, how can I go ahead and get that help? Uh, when they're juniors and they take the PSAT, um, you know, we will recommend that they start taking a look at questions, the timing, the format of the test so that they understand going in, they're more prepared. Um, then when it comes time for the SAT and the ACT and when they're taking these tests, quote unquote, for real, um, it's important that they are prepared. So we tell them there's plenty of online uh, resources that are free that they can use to prepare for these tests so that when they sit down, the stress level is a little less, hopefully. They understand that, you know, what's coming at them. They understand the types of questions they're going to see. They're going to understand the timing of each section. They're going to understand how long they're going to be there on a Saturday morning. Um, So all of these factors come into play and we try to educate them as much as we can here in school. But there's so much information out there that, you know, we will tell them, you know, do your own preparation leading up to the first time you take the test. Again, once they get their scores back, if they want to see a significant increase in their scores the next time they take them, then we will tell them, here are a couple of avenues that you can pursue to get that extra help, whether that's private tutoring, whether it's a classroom setting, um, an independent independent organization. Maybe they have their own school has some test prep classes that they can take advantage of. But the idea is, if they want to see a large increase, um, they can do it on their own if they're disciplined enough. But there are plenty of avenues out there that they can uh, explore um, to increase their scores. And again, it all has to be student focused. Anything we tell them. So, if a student says, "Hey, I want to attend this super elective or super selective school," then I will say, all right, well, here's where your test scores are, here's where their averages are, and you can see that there's a gap. You're gonna have to make up that gap, and that's when we would recommend um, getting test prep. Um, Whereas other students say, hey, here are my test scores, I wanna go to this school, and their test scores are higher than the average, and I would say, well, then you probably don't need to do as much test prep, if any, Um, but then we will talk to them about how higher test scores could equate to uh, more scholarship dollars. So that sometimes will factor in, especially with the parents, when we tell them, "Hey, you have this score. If you get a, you know 100 points higher, you'll get an additional $5,000." Um, that's you know, some of these schools will post that on their on their website. So again, it's all student focus. It's all student, um, you know, what is their goal and what what do they want to accomplish? That's where we you know take advantage of um, the resources that we have that you know students can get extra help. We will recommend test prep. Uh, when it's appropriate, absolutely. Right.
0: Well, thank you so much, Joel. Um, sure, it's been been a pleasure getting to know you a little bit more and and your journey and more about your work. So appreciate your time and have a great uh, rest of your day.
1: Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
0: All right, that's all for today. I really enjoyed speaking with Joel, and I want to thank him for joining me for today's episode. If you enjoyed listening to it, please subscribe to the College Counseling Podcast. Also be sure to bookmark our counselor hub at captest.com/counselors for great resources for you and your students. If you want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at samuel.pritchard at kaplan.com or on Twitter at Sampritchard.edu. Thank you for listening.